Hello, friends. This is the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast presented by Sloan. I'm your host, Ryan Dempster. It's Father's Day weekend. So, understandably, I'm out in the RV with the family going across the country. as That's what we do on Father's Day weekend. And if you are too and you're looking for something to listen to, we'll go to the Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you can download the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast. Listen to it. And that way you can get this week's pod which is really, really special to me. Our first guest is a Hall of Fame pitcher. 1971 NL Cy Young Award winner Fergie Jenkins is going to be joining us. We'll talk about his commitment to charitable work he does, the Ferguson Jenkins Foundation, playing with the Harlem Globetrotters, find out what he learned from his roommate Ernie Banks when he first got to Chicago, his first arrived there, and Ernie gave him some great advice, and reflect on the rest of his time with the Cubbies, and everything in his life since. Then we'll bring in my former teammate from the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, go Sox. Pedroia. Yeah, the laser show. Three-time World Series champion. Former Rookie of the Year. MVP. Dustin Pedroia, he's going to be in the house, and you're not going to want to miss his David Ortiz story from the 2013 ALCS. I saw it firsthand. I was in the bullpen warming up when he hit that grand slam. Torrey Hunter flipped over the wall, cop throwing his arms up in the air. It was pandemonium at Fenway Park, but it was awesome. And uh, Dustin Pedroia's story of it is awesome, so you're not going to want to miss that. So let's get it going right now as Fergie Jenkins goes off the mound. Fergie, so great to see you. How are things? How's life? Pretty good, uh, Ryan. Uh, Just staying quiet. Uh, Not many places to go. They've opened up uh, quite a few restaurants and uh, like bars and physical fitness areas, but I'm just staying home here waiting for, uh, for things to really clear up. Uh, I think by the time the end of July, there should be a little more, uh, uh, I think, uh, frequency with a lot of these restaurants I can go to. But as of right now, I'm just staying home. I bought two puppies just to keep me busy at home. <laughs> what kind of puppies did you get? I bought a, a black lab and uh, I've got a, a German Rottweiler. And they're 14 weeks old, oh. both of them. Oh man, you got your hands full. You got like that's like having twins right there for you. They're they're like children, believe me. They've been ripping <laughs> up uh, covers on my uh, patio furniture, uh, or they whine a lot. But I'm up every morning at like five five fifteen to put them out, let them do what they got to do, water them, and I feed them at six o'clock. Then I feed them again in the evening at six o'clock. So it's kind of a routine. It's like having two babies. Now, and I know you're a land lover. You, you know, grown up um, in Chatham, Ontario and, and having the farm and, and having land. Do you have a lot of space for them to run around down there? There is uh, just a very small property. I've got a fairly good sized backyard, little front yard. I have to cut the lawn, grass front both on, on, and on the side. Uh, but you know what's keeping me busy? I've got my bass boat. Uh, this house I, I bought has an extended garage, three-car garage, so I can park my bass boat inside it. I, I went fishing a couple of times. I uh, just enjoyed myself being on the lake, Lake Louisville. But other than that, I haven't uh, been fraternizing with too many people. Just uh, staying home. Um, we're missing baseball, of course. Um, not being played, that's, that's always tough. I miss not seeing you at Wrigley Field as you make your way through there. Um, you've, you've had, you know, 
Um, not not just a, a career while you're playing, but a post-career one that's very, very celebrated. Um, you go around uh, with your foundation and do um, so many great things um, for for tons of different causes. You don't just uh, stick to one. You do you help so many people out. How did that start? And uh, and talk a little bit about your foundation, the work that you guys do. Well, I started the foundation. Uh, we had the the first idea for it in in '94. And uh, we started with one golf outing, celebrities only, and it turned out to be pretty good for the Red Cross. Uh, we raised, uh, I think, a little over $70,000 uh, for the Red Cross. The following year, I added uh, cancer research. My mother died of cancer, and uh, she was also blind. So I added the Canadian Institute for the Blind. Uh, two golf outings was really pretty, pretty nice. I mean, we turned out to be really successful having uh, two flights, which a lot of times that's over two, 200 golfers in one day. And then uh, we had one in June and one in September. And uh, we had a special Olympics, uh, Boys and Girls Club, Boys and Girls Camp, uh, the Canadian Hall of Fame, which is in St. Mary's, Ontario. Uh, and also, you know, you know what's really remarkable? Because I played with the Globetrotters, we added Meadowlarks charity to it. And we were really successful putting together uh, monies that were going in a good cause. So I look back, I've been really, really fortunate that it's really, really been successful. How, you talked about playing with the Globetrotters. How did that come about? Like, that, I, I always marvel at that. Like, you know, everybody dibble dabbles in some things, but, um, you know, to be able to play, you know, Major League Baseball at the highest level and then play with the Globetrotters, that's incredible. Well, I was very fortunate, Ryan. You know, now an athlete, when you sign a pro contract, you're allowed to do one thing. They don't want you to uh, dabble with other different sports, you know, skiing. Uh, basketball was kind of a second sport for me in, in high school. I was a decent athlete. But when uh, Joe Enzovino, who was a marketing individual, asked me to join the Globetrotters for about a dozen games, I said, that should be a lot of fun. It should be fun. And, and it was a charity going to raise money. Uh, and I think uh, let people know that Fergie Jenkins was, had the opportunity to play another sport. And I was also into hockey also. But it was so successful, the, uh, the dozen games we did, we started in Montreal all the way down to Windsor, Ontario. And then they proposed, why don't you want to play in Detroit? Go to a Coble Hall or or go to some of the different uh, uh, campuses in Michigan. We did that, extended it uh, well over 50 games the first year. Uh, I played three seasons with them, 67, eight and nine, wow. almost 185, almost 190 ball games, which with Meadowlark, Curly Neal, Jackie Jackson, Leon Hilliard, so many of the guys that were the original Globetrotters, it turned out to be a lot of fun. Uh, it was a money-making uh, adventure for me. I got paid, and uh, the Globetrotters filled stadiums. We played in major cities, Pittsburgh, L.A., Cincinnati, Philadelphia, and people came out not to see me, but to see the Globetrotters. I was just a, an added plus. Quarter each night, 15 minutes, scored half a dozen baskets, and I was in two or three skits around the world, figure eight, <laughs> the out-of-bounds, the referee. Uh, and I really enjoyed the, 
the time I was with him, three seasons. And, and you know, John Holland at the time was the general manager. He didn't frown at it. But when he found out I was playing so many games, he says, don't get hurt. <laughs> That's it. Go play, stay in shape, or you better come back healthy. That's all we're looking That's for. That's right. Yeah. The running part was really good. I can't be in good shape. We used to have yeah. shoot-arounds and run uh, back and forth on the court, which was really, really good for me. And I, I got a chance to stay in shape. It started in October all the way to January. So I really enjoyed those those three seasons with them and the, and the three and a half months that, that I played. It was fun. You, you were such an incredible athlete, obviously, playing for the Globetrotters. You could hit. You know, people talk so much about all the complete games you threw, which in today's world is we could go on for days about what an anomaly it is that, you know, if somebody throws a, a complete game now, we're scratching our head like, wow, he must have been so great. You did that almost every start. You were out there throwing complete games. One, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, one season, you're, the season I, I believe you won the Cy Young, you threw 325 innings, um, you know, you took a lot of pride in hitting. And, and I think that's why, you know, a manager's like, well, I'm not sending a pinch hitter up for Fergie. He's better than half our lineup. Yeah. That year I had uh, a little over 20 hits, 24 RBIs. I had 30 complete volumes. You know, DeRocher was wow. a manager uh, like a lot of the managers when I played uh, for like Billy Martin or, or you take, uh, Oh geez. I'm trying to think some of the Dick, Dick uh, Smith. Wait, wait, 30. Uh, 30 complete ball games. It's hard to get guys to make 30 starts nowadays, let alone finish yeah, 30 games. Well, you know, I, I was an athlete that stayed in real good shape. Once I got in shape, I, I never got out of shape. I ran basically all the time. And I think it kept my lower body in real good shape. Plus, I never had a sore arm. I, I tell people, and I, I don't brag, but I pitched 21 seasons, never had a sore arm. I missed uh, never had a three sore starts. Arm. At three starts of my career, uh, one start when my mother passed away in 1970. Uh, Lee Ron Lee had a line drive off me, 10 cent beer night game in uh, Cleveland. I missed the next start, and uh, I turned my ankle running in the outfield. Uh, other than that, uh, I never had hamstrings problem, groin, uh, back, shoulder. I was very fortunate. Knock on wood, it could have been genetics or just the, the fact that I stayed in real good shape. Um, coming from Chatham, Ontario to Major League Baseball, you know, A, how, how did you get to Chatham, your family, everything? And then, you know, like, like, cause that's a, you're coming from a small town to, to becoming a Hall of Fame baseball player. That's a, a story in its own right, right there. Talk, talk a little bit about that and growing up there and, and, and making your way from there. Well, my mother's family, uh, were from Kentucky. They were families of slaves and they migrated through the Underground Railroad and came through uh, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, and, and then crossed the Detroit River uh, into Canada. Uh, my dad's family was from the Barbados and they were called the Arcadians. They worked in uh, lumber mills uh, on the railroad and they landed in Nova Scotia and migrated, uh, his family, the Jenkins family migrated from Nova Scotia down to Windsor where my dad was born. And my dad met my mother, yeah, I think in probably 1937 or 38. And I was born in 42. Uh, farming background with both families, uh, people that lived off the land. Uh, my dad uh, ended up being a chef. And my mother got glaucoma when she was very young at the age of 26. And I was 
born when wow. she was 28. And uh, unfortunately, she never got an opportunity to see me perform as an athlete. Uh, but uh, she had a transistor radio, and I, I have it in the museum. She used to listen to games on that radio uh, when my dad would go to Cincinnati, take a group of people, or come to Chicago. And uh, I tell people I was very fortunate. Whenever my mom and dad showed up at games, I never lost. For some freaky reason, the team scored enough runs. I pitched well enough to win. And I never lost when my family was there at games. When you first started to go play baseball and you're going to leave Chatham and you're going to go do this, your mom and dad like, wait, wait, you're going to leave this peaceful, nice little town and you're going to venture out into the big world. Um, are you are you nuts? What are you doing? Like, what what was their, I mean, obviously, you know, loving and supporting parents like you talked about, but were they, were they like, are you sure this is a good idea? Well, I was an only child. And uh, my dad gave me the opportunity to play a lot of different sports. My mom basically backed it up by saying, if you're going to play these sports, you'd be a, you'd be a, be a competitive athlete, be fair, understand what the game's all about. It could have been ha hockey, basketball, whatever, track and field. Uh, when I decided to leave, my mom was really, really sad because of the fact that I was 18 years old, the only child, and my dad worked, so she was going to be in the house quite a bit alone. But uh, I used to write to her. I used to phone whenever I got the opportunity to do that. But it was kind of a traumatic situation on a plane for the first time, leaving Chatham, which is a small farming community, and not knowing anybody. I joined the team in Miami, no, uh, absolutely nobody on the ball club. And, and the funny thing about it, and you know yourself, Ryan, you join a team, you got to make friends. I was uh, one of the 28 players on that ball club, but only 22 can dress. So the other six guys that work out, we have to sit in the stands because in, in class D ball, you can only dress two pe 22 people a night. So it took a little while for me to uh, convince the manager, Andy Semenik, that I had the qualifications to, to play on this ball club. And uh, as it, people say it, once you put that uniform on, you never want to give it back. And I was that kind of individual. Yes. I got a chance to perform. I showed people in the organization what my capabilities were. And uh, from then on, I never sat on the bench. Uh, as a pitcher uh, with the Philly organization, I was in the bullpen a lot. But uh, other than that, as a, as a starter, every fourth day, uh, from Texas, Chicago, and Boston, I got a chance to play and show what ability I had. And the team behind me really played well, and I won some ball games. Um, you dealt with things that uh, so many people that uh, in life and in baseball, especially, never had to deal with. Um, you know, being a black man and um, playing and going to towns, and you and you spoke about it. You know, talking about. Um, having to stay in a different hotel, um, you know, having other teammates bring you food because you weren't allowed to eat in the restaurant. Um, how hard was that? And, and how did you deal with that as, as an individual? Who did you lean on in those times to be able to help get you through that? Because, you know, I can't imagine, you know, one day of what that would be like and you endured years of that. Well, growing up as a youngster in Canada, uh, 
had no problems with uh, people understanding you as a person because in the neighborhood I was raised in, we had Japanese, we had Korean, Italian, and Jewish uh, individuals. And when I signed at the age of 18 and played in, in Miami, Fred Mason was from South Carolina. He kind of gave us a, a, a lecture of what was going on. Alex Johnson was on that ball club, a kid named Green and Reno Garcia and another fellow named Quinn. And at the time, you know, you got uh, six players of color uh, and we're there for the first time playing in Miami. Uh, Freddie Mason gave us a lecture on where we could go, where we could eat, and don't think that you're better than someone else because of the fact you had to give your money to one of the white players on the team and they bring the food back to you because that's the way it was. Uh, for that six weeks, it was a learning experience. I had to uh, you know, bite my tongue from time to time. Uh, we played in a city called Palatka, Florida, and it had chain link fence in the outfield. And as you know, as a pitcher, you got to shag batting practice. So there'd be kids my age just harassing you on the other side of the fence. So when I couldn't tolerate the, the noise or the the names they were calling some of the players. I just walked into the infield. I always felt safe on the baseball field. Uh, I don't think people were going to challenge you, regardless of your color or who you were, going to come on that field. So I felt safe. Uh, I played in Chattanooga, Tennessee with uh, Hank Allen, Ron, uh, Dick Allen's brother. Uh, Quinn made that ball club again. I can't think of his first name. Grant Jackson, Alex Johnson and a kid named Don Perkins from California. And there was a lot of experiences, a lot of challenges that we had to face. And we did, we, made, we, we, we had a chance to face them because we were athletes playing and we didn't want to stay in that city uh, a long time. We got promoted if we played well. The next year I played in Little Rock, which was another eye-opening experience. They didn't want players of color. We were the first players of color yeah. to play there. Hey, Dick Allen, uh, Marcelino Lopez, Richard Quero, and Ferguson Jenkins. And we were successful. Yeah. It worked out. The next year, I made the big leagues. Dick Allen made the big leagues that, that, that same season in 64. Marcelino was called up from time to time. But it was, uh, as you say, a challenge, a learning experience. And we weren't going to change things that were already written in stone. In 1964, they passed the Bill of Rights, which gave uh, athletes and people of color uh, an opportunity to do other things. And then Martin Luther King came on the scene. But it was uh, a learning experience, one that uh, I, I put in a couple of the books that I authored. But to me, it taught me what life was all about. Um, why, why do you think, like, you, we've seen it, like, because you're talking about when you came up, I feel like um, in the 70s and kind of into the 80s was um, you had a lot of uh, players of color. You had a lot of, um, you know, uh, African-Americans playing baseball. And, and it's it's been a struggle over the years for Major League Baseball to continue that, to make, you know, kids playing uh, the game. They've gone in other directions. Why do you why do you think that's the case where baseball um, – 
I don't know, I wouldn't say isn't as popular, but isn't maybe that sport of choice, um, for, you know, for kids, for, for uh, you know, young black athletes out there? Well, you, you said it right there. Because of the fact that there's so many other sports available, now there's golf, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, uh, track, uh, tennis. I think baseball by far, uh, players are tutored. Uh, you have to basically, uh, I don't know many players, maybe Robin Yout, Al Kaline, there's been one or two that never had a chance to play minor league ball. But that's something that most players, when you get signed, they want to tutor you and they'll send you to the minor leagues. It could be A, AA, AAA, but you have to learn what the organization's all about. Uh, now, in football, basketball, hockey, if you get drafted, a lot of times you go right to the major league ball club and you don't have an opportunity to see what the minor leagues are all about. But in baseball, a lot of times uh, the toleration of, of those 12 hour bus trips <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. living in, living in uh, uh, terrible hotels, eating uh, terrible food, hot dogs, hamburgers. Waffle, waffle house and, and fast food for days. That you'd like to be graduated to get to the big leagues. So it takes hard work. And, and I was two and a half years in the, in the minor leagues in the Philly organization. As I said, I started off in, in D ball, went to a little bit of A, double A, triple A, and I got to the big leagues, signed at 62, got the big leagues in 65. And I told myself, if I was gonna get there, I wasn't ever gonna go back to the minor leagues. And I worked hard to, to stay in the big leagues to try to be consistent. Um, you mentioned the teams you played with, um, Philly and, and Texas, and, and your time in Chicago, um, playing with the Cubs. Um, you get there, um, kind of start doing, you know, incredible things, finishing top three in Cy Young, you know, every other year it seemed like, and then now all of a sudden you win the Cy Young. Um, you know, what was your time like in Chicago? I know how much the fans there love you. I see it on a daily basis when you come through, whether it's in spring training or during the regular season. Um, you know, what has it meant to be a Chicago Cub to you? Well, you know, I room with Ernie Banks. Uh, and an individual like Ernie Banks always had a smile on his face, always talked about the city and the ball club. And you had to be proud of, of, uh, of an individual that, that played that much. He was one of the first players of color to play there. So he tutored me in, 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 in some respect also because of the fact that he said, if you can win, the people of Chicago and this city will open their arms to you. And I was very fortunate enough to, to have some winning seasons and had to have him as a roommate, knowing Billy Williams, Ron Sano, Glenn Beckford was my best man, uh, my second marriage. Uh, I mean, when you look back, the city of Chicago really embraced the ability that I had and to know that uh, a player of color and, and from another country, I was from, from Canada. And you know that a lot of times you have to get accepted. And I was accepted in Chicago because of the fact that I did put that uniform on and I was pretty successful as a winning pitcher. You, you talk about, you know, being from Canada. It is interesting. Like, you know, I started playing on my first year was 1995. And even then people were like, man, what's it like playing baseball in Canada? And I was like, well, you know, you have to 
call timeout to let the polar bears go through every once in a while. But, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, right. they're like, really? I'm like, no, I'm right above Seattle. It's not that far away, but it is yeah. very true. It, it does takes a, takes a little bit of time to, to get that acceptance. But, um, you know, that's obviously, uh, you know, something that I, uh, I share with you that bond, um, you know, the tutelage you've given me along the way, a little tidbit here or there that's made a big difference. Um, <clears throat> thank you very much for, putting a jacket on me, uh, in St. Mary's, uh, a summer ago, that was an incredible honor. Um, do you sit back? Do you ever understand and, and realize the impact that you've had on the, on the country of Canada and the game of baseball? So many kids thinking, man, Fergie Jenkins did it so I can do it. And, th and that's the truth. Do you, do you understand that and, and, and really take time to appreciate that? Oh, totally. Uh, you know, Ryan, I, I get fan mail from time to time from Canadians, uh, from youngsters saying that I, I'd like to pitch in the big leagues. I'd like to uh, have that opportunity to do that. I said, all it takes is hard work. You have to get scouted. And I, I think by far playing on a, on a sandlot ball club in a small town, I think if the notoriety is, is, is put in the press, pretty soon scouts are gonna come to your hometown. You know. Doug Melvin, who was a general manager for the Rangers and, and also for the uh, other ball clubs, Baltimore, uh, Billy Atkinson, uh, Eddie Myers, uh, played, had an opportunity to, to sign out of Chatham and to get an opportunity to play professional baseball. I mean, you have a dream that you tell yourself, I think and I know I could be a a good athlete playing a sport that I love. And that's what uh, I believed in. And for 21 seasons, when I look back, I was very fortunate enough to stay healthy, that uh, I got that opportunity to play a sport that you think you see on television. It, it was always somebody that, that would always say, did you ever play against Hank Aaron or Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle or Roger Maris? And I said, I had that opportunity to pitch against them. Roberto Clemente. You know, it, it, it's a small, small circle that we're in. When you think about it, uh, now I think there's a little over 700 major league athletes. When I signed, there was only 16 teams, so the number was smaller. But there's still people seeing the game on television. And, and to say to yourself, one day I'd like to do that, I did have that opportunity. So I thank whoever, the Lord, my family, to give me that opportunity that I had that uh, uh, opportunity to play a sport that I loved and uh, I was fairly successful at it. Yeah, very successful at it, Fergie, don't be too humble. You, uh, you put, had an incredible, when you talked about those guys, I was just listening to you talk about that. Out of all of those guys that you faced over your career, who was the one guy on the other side of the field where you're, you, you almost catch yourself at the, in the moment marveling at their ability because they were so great? <laughs> Jeez. More than one, believe me. Uh, Willie Mays, <laughs> Hank Willie Aaron, Mays, yeah. Clemente, and all-star competition against uh, Maris and also Mickey Mantle. Uh, you know, when you look back, and you say to yourself, I had that opportunity. It was fun. 
I didn't always win the battle, but it was fun. The challenge was always there. So, especially Willie Mays. Uh, and Clemente was in our division, Pittsburgh. I'd have to face Pittsburgh, start probably maybe five, six times against uh, Pittsburgh. And number 21, he got his share of hits, believe me. We, you know, now that you've you know, long done playing baseball is, you know, uh, decades ago. And, and do you still sit there sometimes when you're watching a game and you go, oh, man, I would just throw a heater in with a breaking ball down and away. When you're, when you're watching <laughs> it going, I could get this guy out, just throw this, this, and this, and we'll move on. Oh, yeah, I'm an armchair pitcher a lot of times going, man, <laughs> you can't hit that slider. Throw it again. Throw it again. You know, you, you got to double up sometimes on pitches. Especially if you throw one good one, double up and throw it again for a strike. See what happens. Or if you get ahead in the count, one and two, come up and in and see if he'll chase. And a lot of guys really yeah. don't do that anymore. I mean, the art of pitching is not lost, but uh, whoever the pitching coach is sometimes doesn't reassure the pitcher that you got to try this. You know, uh, I watch uh, Hendricks pitch with uh, the Cubs, got a great changeup. I mean, he's not afraid. He he goes out there with the intention of throwing that changeup because he knows he's gonna be successful. There's been a few guys that when I played, Stu Miller with San Francisco did it. Uh, with, uh, I'm trying to think of the Baltimore pitcher. Uh, they call him uh, Long Neck. He had a hell of a changeup. I can't think of his name. They call him the Stork too but he would throw change-ups. He wasn't afraid to throw off speed. So you don't have to throw 90 plus to get hitters out. They'll get themselves out, they'll chase. And if you have a good change-up, good motion, I think that they can't recognize that pitch. I mean, it's always good to throw. Well, I look at you and you still look in great shape. Every time I see you, I'm like, man, Fergie looks like he could still play. That arm probably still works great. And uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time um, to, to join us here on Off the Mound and, and uh, telling a little bit of the story of your life and your career and, and sharing that with the fans out there. And I know you have, uh, you have a whole bunch of them who really, really appreciate your career. Thank you very much. Well, my pleasure, Ryan. Good, good talking to you. Stay healthy. Uh, so great. And what an honor to be able to catch up with Fergie Jenkins, the great Canadian Hall of Famer. Yes, he owns all of the Canadian pitching records. I get it. Innings pitch, starts, complete games, wins, strikeouts. But I have a few on him that I don't think he knows how fortunate I feel that I definitely have more base on balls and my career grand slams given up. He'll never sniff those. So, um, But we do share a nice little Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame bond. He was the one who put my jacket on me when I got inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Really cool stuff and great catching up with him. Well, we've all heard the phrase, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And my next guest is proof of that. I'll tell you that. That's right. He's a four-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glover, Rookie of the Year, MVP, multiple World Series, all that. And this guy right here, you can fit them into most overhead storage compartments. That's right. And this RV bathroom that I got, spacious for a guy his size. But he plays like he's 6'8". He's a beast out on the field, the most prepared player I ever played with. So right now, let's go off the mound with the man, Dustin Pedroia. What's happening, brother? Nothing much, man. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, you look like you're grinding it out there. Um, where's the Where's the Pedroia family shacked up these days? Um, we're we're uh, we're on a little road trip right now. We just got in my truck and started driving. We did uh, we did five national parks in Utah, and then we drove to California to uh, see my parents at, at their house in Woodland, and then we drove up to to their beach house in Bodega Bay. So we're here. Uh, just letting the kids run, run wild. You know, they've been, they were shacked up for the longest of time. So it's time to turn them loose, take the leash off. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody about that. Like, it's so important. I think, you know, obviously we're fortunate enough that we could do that, but, um, you know, at our age, years come and go really fast. They just blur by, but for these kids, they seem like yeah. forever for them. So in a time like this, to be able to give them that must be, it must be a cool feeling to show them, you know, kind of a little bit of, uh, the world a little bit get out there in the u.s and see these parks is a, a pretty cool thing are they having a ton of fun yeah they're having a great time it's kind of like kind of like the griswolds with us we just pack up and, <laughs> and go and it is i mean it's it's wild i mean my boys are 10 7 and my youngest turns six in uh two days so he, he's he's gonna be going wild and and um you know that's what we did when i was a kid you know we would travel around do things and and that's when you experience stuff you know it's summertime um and just just enjoy yeah no it's it's uh it's funny you're same way for us you know driving around in the back of the station wagon facing the other way waving at the cars coming at us yeah and, uh, now now they get a little bit better luxury when they when they travel around but it's still the same thing i think it's uh i think it's really cool that you you took them around to do that and uh you know get that break and and hope that uh we're back to watching baseball at some point somewhere along yeah. the lines um Absolutely. You think, uh, you think, you know, looking at um, the, the, the new, what the new norm of baseball might be for a little bit here, what would be the weirdest thing that you would think? Like, you know, I've heard stuff like pitchers get their own balls to play with. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's the, like, you can't high, you can't high five. You can't, uh, you can't knuckles all that. What would be the hardest thing to not do um, as a, as a guy? Uh, in the dugout? Well, I think for me is would be no, the no fans, you know, I, I think, I'm used to playing, I've played, you know, my home at Fenway Park. That place is sold out every game I've played. So, you know, if, if you go to the on-deck circle and no one's there, I'm going it, to, it's going to, it'll weird me out. You know, I'm used to getting yelled <laughs> at, um, having having the, the the hot dog guy yell at me, you know, all, all these things. And, and to walk out there and be silent, I don't even know. I feel like I'm in a library and I've actually never been in one of those. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't I w that would be the weirdest thing for me. No fans. It would be great if they just allowed like one celebrity fan a game. Like every guy who goes out, just randomly Matt Damon sitting there, you know. Yes. Him and yeah, they need him and Affleck are at I mean, opposite they... on deck circles. Yep, absolutely. They need to come up with something to make it to make it a little bit, a little bit uh, more accommodating to for for the no fan situation. Dude, you you mentioned Fenway Park. Like for me, I played one year there, and we got a chance to win a World Series together, but. I was blown away. Like as a visiting player, when you play there, it's it's incredible and it's a great experience. But as a home player, when you walk up that tunnel and you got that boom green monster right in your face, what yeah. was that like? You know, day in day, what's that been like to sit there and see that as as you know your cathedral, your office that you go to work at? Yeah, uh, it's the best. I mean, I um, I know walking up that tunnel is is and then seeing the monster is a great view. But from second base, looking up and seeing the the Fenway Park and having all the championships on the on the on the the top of the the score, whatever that thing is, where all the media sits, is um, 
it's special. I mean, I just, and you know, before every pitch I get ready and I look up there and it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, you never really want it to end and, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty special time. And you talk about second base and getting ready every pitch. You are the most prepared <laughs> guy I've ever played with. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And like, not just pregame, like, you know, you're there at like 10 o'clock in the morning for a seven o'clock night game, making sure the ground screw guy's cutting the grass the right way. But, um, yeah. you know, just that preparation before every pitch. If people, I always tell kids, I go, when you go to a Red Sox game and Dustin Pedroia is playing second base, watch him because he has never taken a pitch off. It doesn't matter if it's 3-0 with the bases loaded and a pitcher up. You are locked in. Where where did that start? Who was the one who got you, you know, to ingrain that in your in your brain that to be ready every single pitch like that? Um, I, I kind of always have played like that. Um, shoot, since little league, you know, I, I, you know, I, I kind of viewed baseball. It's, it's a game, and you always want to win. You know, I didn't matter if I was playing in a practice game on field ten in spring training. You know, I, you know, we're here to win. Um, so I have always had that mentality, and um, so every every pitch, I mean, I, you got a lot of responsibility. They hit a ball ten feet from you. I got to make a play. Um, you know, save save the pitcher's pitch count. You know, we got to get 27 outs and all this, and and that's part of my job. So, you know, I'm always prepared. Um, I'm always ready to 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 find a way to make a play. So hopefully, it, it rubs off on on the guys around me, and and um, you know they make plays just like I do. Hey, you remember that spring training game where I asked you to call pitches? Yes. And I was like, but yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm like, what? Yeah, we did that for one inning. We oh, came man, running back nervous. in, and you're like, never again, dude. Just throw the ball. I'll catch it. That's what you said. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That was awesome. Was that fun for you? Yeah, it was because it gave me a different perspective of what, of what you guys as infielders are seeing. Like DeRosa and I used to always talk about that because he'd be calling yeah. pitches along with me or wondering what I was going to throw, you know, looking in for the yeah. signs. So did – kind of see your mentality of what you thought was a good pitch to throw after a certain swing. I, I really liked it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I did it one other time with, with Derek Lee too. And, uh, you yeah. know, it just, it gives me a fresh look. So, and you were, you were really good at calling pitches by the way. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, I was, I was, yeah, it was a little tight. I mean, you couldn't grease a BB through it, you know, but I, I <laughs> we, we didn't, you didn't, I don't think you gave up a hit. Did you? No, one, two, three inning, really crisp, clean. Yeah, one, two, three inning, and, and, and then I could finally exhale, and, and then I had to go get some, some sutures removed from, from down under from the trainer, and then we were, I had to go hit. So, But that was definitely nerve-wracking, you know, because I never get a chance to do it. I mean, I, you sit there, you watch the game, and, and I'm actually, as an infielder, you see every sign, so you're calling pitches with our catcher. And, and there's some pitches where you're like, man, I would never throw that pitch to these hitters. And, so, and a lot of the time it works out. So, you know, you're always nervous doing that. But, man, it was fun. It was fun when you get out of the inning yeah. and you go one, two, three. But I, I can't imagine if it was fun if you are getting lit up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You, you did way better in Dealey. I'm pretty sure I'd give up a huge homer the time he was calling pitches. I don't know if he did it on purpose. but <laughs> Oh, that's good. Um, we, had a, we had a magical year in, in 2013. Obviously, we, we bonded together really fast, a special group of guys. Um, you know, looking back at that season, what are what are things that you remember, you know, about that year um, and, and just kind of it all transpiring? Um, you know, I remember from the beginning, you know, when we got to spring training, we, we knew it was a different team. Um, we knew the, the amount of professionalism out of every single player. 
the way we paid attention in, in drills. Um, you know, I remember the, the first time we did PFPs with all the pitchers. There was no goofing around. They, every, everybody made every play. You know, it was, you know, bunt defenses. Everything was perfect. And, I'm, and, I, and I remember sitting back and saying, man, the attention to detail by this team and the way that everybody's acting, you know, is, is you know, we, I had won a World Series in 2007. I was a rookie. And it wasn't like that. We were so much more, we, we were a lot more talented. Everybody goofed around. It was kind of, you know, a free joking team and, and that team. But, but 2013, the, the group of guys were so focused from day one of spring training. It was, we got, it was the put together perfectly by Ben Sherrington. I mean, there, it couldn't have been, you know, you know, a group of veteran players to young players to, to one-year contracts, to, to two-year con everything that was put together perfectly. Um, and we knew from the start that we were going to win. Um, and then, obviously, the marathon happened. And, uh, and then we, we all knew that we were playing for much more. Um, and, and we all didn't – it was like we all were on the same wavelength. I mean, everybody thought the same. Um, you know, we all went out to dinner. We all, I mean, it was a family from day one, uh, and and there we weren't the most talented team. I mean, you, you'd probably agree. I mean, yep. you, I was watching the things the other day on on the MLB Network. They had one of our the game that David hit that home run against the uh, the Tigers, and I'm looking out there and I'm like, wow, the Tigers are they're they're a lot better than us. You know, they were on, stacked, on man. They they yeah, were they were loaded. You look at look at our team and look at theirs, but then you look at our team and I'm like. Wow, I'm, I'll actually take every single one of our guys over theirs. You know what I mean? And, yep. and that's no disrespect to their guys, but I, I had confidence in our guys. And we found ways. I mean, we, we lost the first game against Detroit. We're down 5-1 uh, in the eighth inning with two outs. And, and David hits a grand slam. And it's, you know, we're facing Verlander, Scherzer. They had Rick Porcell. I don't even know how many Cy Young Award winners they had. Um, and we find a way to win. And then we go play the Cardinals, and it's the same thing. I think we were underdogs in that series, too. Uh, you know, we, we win the first game, lose the second. We have the obstruction, call it third. You know, it's kind of, kind of crazy. And then, you know, less. I always said, I thought, that that, I thought that that moment when we lost that obstruction game yep. and the next day when we came to the field, nobody said anything about it. It wasn't like, no, can you nothing. believe that happened last night? We moved on so fast, and that's when I look. I remember looking at a couple guys going, "Oh, oh, we're fine. We're totally fine." Yeah, yeah, and that that was the thing. I remember, I remember when I made that. I, I, because I dove and caught the ball, threw it home, and I remember watching the play. I got a good view of the play unfolding, and I'm like, it was just a play. It was meant to be because Will couldn't do anything. You know, he the throw yep. took him into the runner. It was just, it was a, a baseball play. Wasn't on our side, and. Everybody turned the page. You know, the media was, they, they were talking about it and, you know, making a big deal of how I, everything. And I'm like, you know what? It is what it is. I mean, it could have, you know, a guy could have hit a ball at the top of the fence and it kicked up 20 yard, feet and then bounced over. You know, that was the play. Who cares? Yep. Um, but after that, you know, we, you know, it seemed like the whole year that, that was our, our, our team. You know, whatever was thrown at us, we found a way to get it done. Um, and, and out of the, the, the teams that I've been on, that was the most, you know, resilient, uh, you know, mentally tough team I've ever been a part of. You know, it didn't matter what what was thrown at us. 
you know, we had guys that stepped up. I mean, Johnny Gomes who didn't play against right-handers most of the year. Uh, he hits a three-run homer and, uh, off of one of the guy, a righty that throws sinkers who righties hit .89 off of all year. And, you yep. know, things like that. It was, you know, we were – we were going to find a way to win. It didn't matter who we played. That, that year made me believe more than anything about how being positive and thinking positive thoughts really make yeah. things happen. Like, like we constantly talked about it. We talked about, you know, getting your color, what duck boat color you want, like what parade we're going to have. <laughs> it was just like, it was nonstop. And I remember that moment when David, I don't even know if you know this story, when David hit that grand slam, um, I was warming up in the bullpen and we started getting things going. And then Taz started warming up behind me and Dana, our bullpen ca uh, coach came up to me and said, um, Hey, if we're down three, you're still in, but if we're down two, Taz is in. And I remember two things. I joked with him. I said, I can pitch down three, but I can't pitch down two. Okay. Thanks coach John. And then, and then second of all, I came set and I looked at Dana and I said, yeah, but Dana, what about when we score four right here? And picked my yep. knee up through the pitch, and you look, and my knee's catching the ball from the yes. homer. He caught my ball exchange and caught the homer, and then you know this guy in the bullpen, the cop throwing his hands up, and um, and the rest was yep. history, man. It was, it was, it was talking yeah. ourselves into into good things happening. Yeah, it was just like setting it up. I remember they bring, you know, uh, pineapple got a, I think pineapple walked, and they brought in Al Albuquerque. Uh, to face me and David, you know how David is. He don't even know who's coming in the game. And, uh, I go, <laughs> he goes, Hey Pee Wee. Yeah. He goes, Hey Pee Wee, you know, this guy, he likes his slider. I go, yeah, David. But the last time he threw me his slider, I rifled it off the left field wall. So he's going to throw me a two seamer in and I'm going to flip it to right. And then they're going to bring that guy in and he's going to throw you a change up. Don't miss it. And he goes, Come on. That's a good idea. And I'm like, you got it. Sure enough. They went, I remember they strike one. I didn't swing. I never swung at the first pitch. And then he threw me a sinker in and I, I knifed one. I mean, this ball had some severe exit velocity. Thank God. I don't know if they kept it back then, but this was Jeterized times 10. I mean, it had a tail on it into right field for a base hit. And I remember looking at David cause Leland can't, you know, Leland walking out of the dugout. Oh, yeah. I just looked at David and I said, Hey, let's go. And sure enough, I mean, it was David, man, he doesn't miss those, those, those hanging something in the zone. And that ball was no. hit and it was like a golf ball. You know, I'm at first and it, this thing had some, I mean, I could hear it. And man, all I saw was Torrey Hunter flying over the fence. You know, it was, a, it was, it was man. pretty special, you know, that yeah, was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good, and you know, you played with David your, your whole career and, and you, you've seen like the things that he does in those big situations, the big moments, um, late in the yeah. game, whatever it is, what, what, what do you think it is that, you know, obviously I know he prepares and he's ready to go. Um, but what do you think it is that, that makes him so special in those moments? Honestly, I think it's lack of, uh, awareness of the situation, to be honest, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't, I'm serious. He doesn't, he doesn't understand, you know, cause he's so, he's so good. I mean, he's, he's so good all the time, but I think that when he, when you DH and, and he comes out and he looks at the scoreboard or, you know, cause he's so focused on what he needs to do to get ready for his at bat. But when he looks at the scoreboard and says, oh, we're down one, 
then he'll look out at base and say, oh, there's a guy on. He goes, okay, I need to change the game. You know what I mean? And he just goes up there and, hey, I need to do this right now. And he does it. Um, and, and I've never seen anybody do it like that. He, he's, you know, that was my thing hitting in front of him late in the game. I had to get on base. You know, it was never, never, I'm never going to try to hit a home run to win the game or, or, you know, do something that I can't do because he is there. Um, and that, it makes everybody's job easy. You know, it, it was, there's nobody like him. You always, you know, he, you knew if, if we have an out left, you know, we got to get him up and, and we were going to win, you know, it was like 95% of the time. (laughs) It was, it was incredible. It was like, it's incredible. You you talk, talk about guys being able to slow it down in the moment and, you know, he just, the crowd gets going. It's like, he feeds off that energy. Yeah. Um, and just like, and just takes it all in. It was, it was really, really, and you guys' respect for each other. That was one thing I noticed, you know, it's, you know, you're a superstar. He's a superstar in the same field, same lineup. Sometimes, uh, you know, that doesn't always work out with a lot of teams, but you guys' love and respect for each other. Like I remember him flying out to center field, didn't get all the way to first base and you lit him up when he came in the dugout. And we were like, oh boy, let's all get up and break this fight up. And next thing you know, he just looked at you because you're like, Hey, dude, run down to first base. How hard is it? There's kids in the stands. And we're like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. And he just goes, <laughs> I got you. I got you, Petey. My bad, man. And it was like, whoa. I remember looking at at John Farrell and being like, it's pretty nice when you, you, you don't have to worry about this in here. Like, we got this. Yeah. And he just looked at me like, yeah. yeah. You know, there was we, the relationship that we had. I mean, it's that's unbreakable. I mean, he, you know, he's seen me in my rookie year hit one. 70 the first few months of the year and have fans get on me and then i've seen him in 2009 uh, i mean he didn't hit a home run until i think it was june 1st um and every single day he saw me working trying to get out of it and every single day i saw him working trying to get out of it so i think i think those relationships are built on times when you when you struggle and you go through the hardest times it's it's who's around that's going to be with you and that those are the people that that you know, I will always have your back and always care for you and, and, and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's unbreakable. He could say what anything to me and I could say anything to him and it, and it, you know, we'll just shake our heads and, and, and be better for it. You've won three world series championships. Which one to you stands out in your mind as uh, your most memorable one? Um, probably the 13 one. Um, 2007, uh, I love yeah. 2007 okay. too. And it's, it was weird. So I look at them like this, I, you know, my first one was, I was a rookie. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just playing. I was hitting lead off. Um, I, I was clueless. Um, in 13, you know, it was kind of the team was, you know, Ben kind of built the team around my personality. You know, it was a bunch of guys, a bunch of veteran guys that, you know, would do anything to win. Uh, they played together. Uh, we were playing for something more than just the World Series. We are playing for a lot of things. Um, and then in 2018, because of my injury, it was like I, I had to be a leader and, and find ways to help us without being able to play. Um, so the, all three of them, you know, they obviously mean a ton to me. Um, but the one that sticks out the most is the 13 one, just because of the bombing, uh, the way that the way that we helped the city kind of get through a time that was, you know, extremely difficult. Uh, so that that, you know, that will always hold the, 
the highest thing to me, uh, you know, for that reason. Sweet. I would agree. I would wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. It's my only World yep. Series, so that's my favorite one, too. <laughs> um, you, you're you a guy that, you know, you're, you're not the tallest in stature, but you play like you're 6'5". Um, you know, you've always kind of had that edge, and it's been so much fun to compete against, to watch from across the field, to play with. Um, you know, the draft recently came up. Uh, uh, ASU guy, Spencer Torkelson, going yes. number one overall. Um, a lot of kids didn't get drafted. You know, they're getting adversity thrown at them right in their face right away. You know, what would he, what would be the advice, you know, someone like you who, you know, has battled the odds to not be rookie of the year, World Series champ three times, and you're an MVP. What would you tell those kids that, you know, didn't get drafted, didn't get a chance to sign a contract yet to, to be able to chase their dreams down? Oh, they're going to get uh, my advice. They're going to get a chance. Everyone does. And it's going to be the same chance as uh, Spencer Torkelson. If you go, if you sign a contract, it's, hey, it's up to you to 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 make your ending. Um, you know, if, if you go out and perform and play well and and, you know, do the things that you think you're capable of doing. And guess what? You're going to end up playing in the big leagues a long time. But if you if you if you say, why me? Oh, I didn't get drafted in the, whatever the first five rounds or whatever this thing is, then guess what? You're probably not going to make it. All that negativity is going to bottle you up and, and all the excuses and, and, and it's not going to be, you're not going to be who you want to be. So, you know, you're going to get an opportunity. It's what you make of the opportunity that makes you, um, you know, and that's the only advice I have for you in the minor leagues. It's, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's cutthroat. I mean, you're playing in, in, you know, you're traveling 10 hour bus rides, you're getting off, you're, you know, maybe the field isn't, isn't like the, the last field. It's not nice. You get a bad hop, you know, you, you got to deal with adversity. You know, this isn't, there's a reason why there's only 1100 big leaguers to ever play 10 years. Those are the most mentally toughest people that have ever played the game because they've been dealt with the most adversity and they're the ones that, that have done it the right way. Um, you know, and, and somewhere along the road, they learn that this is how you're They're going to do it and it's the right way. So, you know, that's my advice to those kids. Yeah, right on there. You're exactly right. It comes in different forms, right? It could be an injury. It could Absolutely. be, a, you know, you get sent down, you get released, whatever it is. And you know, I, yeah. I, I was joking last week with Rich Hill. I mean, Rich Hill went from starter to drop down left-handed reliever to playing yeah. an independent ball. And now he's made $50 million since he got back in the game. It can happen yeah. like that. So Absolutely. yeah, that's really, really great advice for them. Um, This kid, Spencer Torkelson, that you're talking about, like, you know, yeah. you, you see that you're an ASU grad uh, alum. He's, you know, number one pick overall. I mean, how, how special is this kid's power? He's, he's, he, he's get flat out hit. Uh, he's going to be middle of the order guy for a long time. I mean, I just, uh, I've gone to a few, few games and shoot every game I've gone to, he's hit a home run. Uh, so, you know, he can, he can flat out do damage. Uh, so he's going to be fun to watch and he's coming quick too. He's not going to be held down very long. You know, once this, once we start playing again and, and he's in the minor leagues playing, he'll be up soon. And uh, he'll be in Detroit, you know, launching balls. Uh, you know, and he, he right now he's going. I could see him going straight dead center in that that ivy they got. That's a mile, two miles away, and he can, you know, he'll, he's not going to have a problem. Wow, man! But yeah, special talent. I was just watching clips of him. Just I, I haven't seen yeah. it in person, but I've seen it on tape. And 
you know, that's that's yeah. some quick bats beating some different power. Detroit got a another another great ASU guy right there. Yep. Uh, playing in the <laughs> playing in the big leagues one of these days. Yep. So um look, you know, as we get closer to the end, right? We never know when it's all final, end of a career, you're you know, uh, battling through injuries here and and hopefully we can see you back in uniform one day. Yeah. And if we don't, um it's been an unbelievable journey, but hopefully that's the case. As you get closer to it all, um what what do you want most about, you know, when people think of Dusty Pedroia, uh the ball player, when they things they want that you want them to say about you? What's something that that really stands out the uh, way um, you want it to be. Just that, I mean, that he never, he never left anything out there. You know, it, I mean, that's, that's what I hope they say. I mean, that's, that's basically it. I mean, there's, you know, I don't have any, if I, if I can't play ever again, I don't have any regrets and I'm proud of that. Um, I think the guys that have regrets didn't, you know, they left it, they left something that out there. Um, and I, and I don't, I mean, I, I, I can honestly tell you, there were, I didn't take one pitch off. If I ever, never play again, I didn't take one pitch off. It didn't matter if the score was 20 to zero uh, or, you know, if I was five for five, my next to bat, I didn't take a pitch off ever. Um, and I'm proud of that. that. That's my most proudest thing I, I, could, I could say. And, I, and I'm not just saying that in the major leagues, my life. I, I never took a pitch off in high school, college, ever. So... You know, if I if I don't have to play anymore, I'm going to pick up something else and I'm going to dominate that. Maybe golf. I you know, if I can't run, I might golf. I might be on the senior tour. I'm tired of John Smoltz getting all this. He's putting with the standalone putter. You got to be kidding me. This guy, right? Went, what is that got thing? Got 400 saves and 300 wins or whatever the hell he's got as a starter, and he's putting with the standalone putter. Have you seen this? Yeah, the bloodline. He's he puts it down and walks away. And, and, and walks back and he's like looking at it on a knee. I'm like, John, you could have played any sport probably. You could, probably could have played quarterback. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're putting with the standalone putter. You're not a good enough athlete to go like this. <laughs> I what mean, is that? shake yourself. Is he, he's got to so be looking for endorsement money. That's my only thing. It's got to be some to. sort of, he's looking for an endorsement deal from Bloodline. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know what I that's what I can't handle right now as as I'm getting older in my in my in my uh, I call it kind of call this a quarter life crisis because I'm gonna live till I'm 130. So yep. I I think golf as my next thing after baseball I, I got to get after Smoltzy. That's it. One thirty. I figure with your high level of income and advances in modern science, you could probably do two twenty five, maybe maybe three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> oh no kidding no kidding well oh. hey dude i don't i don't know what the next uh the next chapter is when that comes yeah. uh but i just know that it, it's it's been uh awesome to watch you play it was great to be your thanks. teammate we're bonded forever as as champs yeah and uh yeah and thanks for taking the time joining us right here on off the mount today right on thanks deb i appreciate it man just an awesome time chatting with dustin and fergie today i hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as i did um, incredible stuff from those guys if you want to hear more in-depth interviews like the ones from today's episode all you have to do is download and subscribe to the off the mound with ryan dempster podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify and as always you can watch the show every friday night at 8 p.m on marquee sports network thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon